welcome back to Yeehaw Chinwags. Um, that's what I'm calling is it. That this. What it is now? That's what I'm calling it now. With me, Reverend Bones, and my brother, Science Joe. That's my new name. G'day, Joe. Thanks hey. for having me back, brother. It's good to be back in, back on this podcast, take two. So here we are, both <laughs> a bit, a little dusty. Yeah, a little dusty. Last night in Canberra, uh, it was legal to dance again. What a dream. So we went out and we had a little boog at a transit bar and then sideway, and it was great. It's um, really nice. And it's a wonderful Saturday afternoon. Uh, there's more protesters um, at Parliament House oh, really? for the Freedom Convoy. Oh. But today I thought we'd talk about something a little different rather than focusing on Freedom Convoy as we did last week. Um, let's dig back into our past, shall mm. we? Um, so, you know, we've both gone through deconversion experiences or going from one very particular worldview to another very particular worldview. So we went from a literal fundamentalist Christian point of view. And, and by a fundamentalist, that's not a pejorative term. We're not saying it as like a slur, but that belief system defines itself by taking the Bible to be the literal word of God to be inerrant and true and the foundation for all knowledge and all truth. And and so for today's conversation, you know, we've both been um, inspired and shaped by science and philosophical understandings of what we are as humans and what the good life is, but also just how to understand reality. And, you know, I would like these conversations to be useful as well. So let's cast back to... You know, let's say when we were both in that real grey zone where you're not really sure what you believe and or your beliefs are changing, um, you you went heavily into science, and this I think this was after you deconstructed, right? Very or- shortly after. We're talking. Well, I mean, the deconstruction itself kind of happened over gradually over years. Yeah. Through you know different experiences that led me away from really thinking too much about the Bible as being kind of the literal, you know, guiding principle in my life. And then, but I never really reconciled that for a few years. Mm. So I started, you know, playing devil's advocate against the Christian position while still claiming I was a Christian for a good few years. Yeah, right. So that was when, you know, I suppose you were taking the other side. You were... Uh, strong manning or strong yeah. personing, which is the opposite of st- straw manning, yeah. where you look for a weak position. Yeah. Sometimes um, in order to feel really strong in your own position, you, you try to build up the view that's opposite to yours or different to yours yeah. to really understand it. And so so you went through that and then, yeah, which is quite common, um, and then that questioning kind of leads to other answers and other understandings that yeah. end, up being, end up being more persuasive. Yeah, and ev- evolution was the big one that I still kind of felt like wasn't answered by science for whatever reason at the time because I hadn't actually looked into it. Yeah. It was more the philosophical stuff that I'd strongmaned and then it was like, but evolution couldn't possibly have happened, so I'm still a Christian. 
that was like my get out of Christian get get out get I don't know get out of atheism card. Right. Yeah. Maybe. Um. So when that domino started to crack, uh, yeah, it all kind of started to fall. I think. Mm. And um, it's also worth noting at this point that like obviously you can be a Christian and believe in evolution. There's heaps and heaps and heaps of Christians yeah. who do like hold faith in one hand and science and scientific rationalism in the other. Probably a lot easier if you weren't brought up a fundamentalist though. Totally. And so a, a lot of the thing for us is if we've kind of grown up in a pretty black and white way of thinking yeah. um, and understanding. And so then, um, you know, for, for me, anyway, I, I, you know, that, that sort of continued afterwards in um, the search for or the way I would go about um advocating for atheism or even secularism but that's getting a little off the point from where i wanted to uh head which is okay imagine there's someone who's maybe nearing the end of that malaise that sort of washy period Mm. where you don't quite know what's making sense knowing what you know now about science and mind you we were living together at the time here in canberra in a share house and when you decided, hey, I want to, like, I want to do science, but I don't know which one, I basically, over the course of one to two years, watched you go in your room most nights, fire up lectures from professors with all these online learning um, portals where you got up to university level in, but like, fundamental math, physics, biology, chemistry, geology, uh astro astrophysics um less so but less, yeah Le- less less uh in terms of the conceptually sure yeah anyway yeah. you you know you you <laughs> went on when you hear people doing their research right that's kind of what i think about is doing um prep up to university level across all scientific fields yeah. to see just so that you could be like okay which one really interests me most yeah um so and then obviously after that, you've now, you know, specialized, but you've still been very broad in your um, research areas. So I think you're really well placed to um, to deliver some nuggets <laughs> for someone who's just like, I want to get into the McDonald's drive through of <laughs> um, getting like some scientific worldview. Like what what's the latest? What do we know? How do we know that pertains to? that like addressing the questions of that fundamentalist sure. worldview. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what should we, what, what do we know about say who we are as humans and how we got here and, you know, a short history of everything. Short history of everything. I mean, that's kind of where that's, that's where it's kind of started for me. Big history. Looking at it that way, which is big history. Yeah. Mm. So it's kind of looking at it. Well, it's a good way to understand your place amongst it all as a human is looking at it through a historic lens. And most people are used to doing that, right? Even if you, you know, most people look through the Bible through a historic lens, even if they're a fundamentalist Christian, it's still a historic lens that kind of shows you how you got to where you are now through the Bible. You know what I mean? So it's like a, it, it paths your journey, it paths your narrative so you can place yourself as in, in like, context. in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Yeah, but and all those stories that make up the biblical canon yep. all kind of form the story that the person in the 
present time reads, and then that gives them context and meaning and placement mm-hmm. and community and, and history to attach all of that to. Mm-hmm. So starting in the big history lens is kind of what I did with that. So what is, for those listening at home, what is big history? So big history, instead of just looking at the last, what, I mean, even from a Christian lens, let's say five or 6,000 years of history, you look at the last 14 billion years of history. How, bow, bow. how you got from, like, what, what does it actually look like to go from the Big Bang to right now? Okay, so here is an, our first stumbling block. Stumbling block, because yeah. if I'm putting back on my creationist hat, yeah, creationism, uh, people who are unaware, is the idea that the creation story in Genesis is literal, yeah. that there were six days and then God popped all the things out just by speaking them. Again, there's like metaphorical, there's a metaphorical lens which actually makes this interesting to talk about. But if we're interpreting that as like reality, then there's a young earth. And Mm -hmm. so in terms of just overall worldviews, let's say I believe in a young earth, but I'm open, like genuinely open, as we both were at some point in time between... Believing one thing and then believing the other. Yeah. What are some of the key bits of evidence we've got that Earth is just like totally impossible <laughs> that the the Genesis story is true? It's just like yeah, yeah. So I think the age of the Earth is a good one because there's no one piece of evidence. There's lots mm-hmm. from different places that all point to the pretty much the same number. Uh, so well, some of the big ones, are, I mean, most people know about this to some degree. It's the idea of radio dating, mm-hmm. isotopes. Um, a lot of people don't understand how that works. And it's it's a little bit technical. I can try to give a quick... Yeah, give us a quick breakdown. Give us a quick spray. So when it all starts in a star, stars make atoms, basically especially big atoms like iron, carbon, oxygen, silicon, anything like that, it's all made in a star. And when that star explodes, there are different, slightly different versions of all of those elements that get made with a different number of one of the bits inside those elements called neutrons. So you get carbon 12, carbon 13, Carbon-14. Carbon-13 has one more neutron than carbon-12. Okay, it's pretty simple in that term. So you, the number that you see is related to how many neutrons are in that carbon, mm-hmm. right? So when, when a star explodes, it explodes with a certain number of carbon-12, 13, 14 that spits out of that. So in some sense, there's a timer that gets started there because some of these, what they're called isotopes are not stable mm. and they will eventually they decay, decay in radioactive decay. Exactly. So they will decay into the smaller number or sometimes they decay into entirely different atoms. They split. This and is this is exact same physical phenomenon that we use to essentially power nuclear stations. This is how nuclear power stations work. 
they have nuclear decay, which is kind of an inevitable process when you have atoms flying out of stars when they explode. Mm -hmm. So some of those atoms that fly out will start to decay. And we can measure that. Yes, you can measure that. And the crazy part about atoms is you you measure that. You're not just measuring a couple of them doing that, right? You measure, like when you have a spoonful of something, you actually have a bazillion, 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 bazillion atoms in there. The number is so big, it just breaks your brain. Yep. So it's very easy to actually figure out if you're measuring how many of these things are decaying every second or every minute. You have so many in there that if you see a couple decaying, you can actually tell pretty easily how many will decay over a million years, for example. Mm -hmm. And you can actually figure out exactly what that decay rate is. Great. With so, so let's just let's just summarize that. So basically, um, within the universe or matter, or at least here on Earth, rocks, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, there's like a clock, internal clock. Yes. And that clock was set when the building blocks of these atoms were created, which slammed is like together slammed in together stars. in yeah. stars. Yeah. Form flung out into the universe. Over time, gravity means they smush together with other, um, like, similar atoms, kind of how planets are formed. Um, and then within within each of, within matter, basically, yep. we can just measure, using the atoms, this little clock. And because of the rate of decay it, and it follows some reliable principles we can use that to count backwards to see how old it was. And that gives us, in terms of Earth, how old is Earth? Earth is about 4.6 billion years old. And then, so Earth is about 4.6. And then we also think the universe is around 14. Is it 13 or 14? 13.8 or so. 13.72, I think. It's either 13.72 or 13.82. Yeah. Yeah. One of those two numbers. Great. And so, so this is a separate question from origins of like how it all started. With yeah. Like, so we, we don't need to think about that just yet. Yeah. We're just thinking about young earth yeah. versus um, big time. Yeah. Basically. And the, the key thing with this, this isotope stuff is it's, it's based on raw fundamental physics. Yeah. There's no extra source that anyone adds to draw out these numbers. Mm -hmm. So it really is quite a, quite a roots up, uh, search for these numbers. Yep. Um, no one, no one like no one who's, who was radio dating was like, Oh, we, we want to find the earth, this number, you know, it, the, the number kind of emerges out of the physics. Great. Yeah. So establishing that, that's one measure that's telling us something about the age yep. of the Earth. What else is there? So out of the mouths of two or three, so that, the actually, truth is established. It's actually is tricky, the... right? So we actually don't get that number from Earth. Ooh. So Earth is active. We have geology going on. There's rocks being born and destroyed all the time. Mm -hmm. There's actually very few rocks accessible to us up here and even fewer accessible down below the crust of earth that will actually 
that because because what what happens with Earth, right? When those rocks go through the the rock cycle and they get taken back down into the the Earth and melt again and all of that, they get mixed up and some of their clocks start again. Mm-hmm. So you actually have a resetting process. Yeah, yeah. So there's a rebirth of some of the isotopic activity in the rocks that get churned around. So that actually looks like so okay. So how the hell did you figure out the Earth age question then? And the oldest rocks on Earth, I believe, are around 4 billion years old that we've found. And that's here in Australia, right? We've got yeah, Western Australia. Yeah, the Pilbara. Yeah. Some rocks out there have just kind of, by chance, have just never been taken back down. They've just kind of floated around on the surface for a very long time. And Aboriginal spirituality um, rocks are also deemed sentient, which is fascinating. Just yeah. thought I'd throw that in. Anyway... <laughs> onwards no comment yeah <laughs> from a scientific but, perspective yeah but also sure. <laughs> also from a scientific perspective we got some of the oldest rocks on earth here in australia yeah and this is also where like rio tintoa not just blast like blasting art and culture from the earliest some of the earliest human art and culture um but also our sweet old rocks so yeah you anyway. know Getting us off track, um, but <laughs> as you were as you were saying, how do we how do we do it? We got old rocks here that yeah. are four billion years, but how do we know it's four point eight for Earth? Four point six. Four point six. We the the best indicator is actually the moon. <gasps> the moon. So the moon rocks were dated at that, and the moon is not geologically active. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go through rebirth cycles with its rock. Wait, so the moon's four point six bill. Yep. Cool. Roughly. So they uh, formed and, at the and, same and time. Meteors. Is that the idea? Is that it like... Yes, basically, yeah. like within millions of years. Yes. Yeah. Many millions of years, but close enough to get that billion accuracy. 4.6 cool. billion. Meteors are the other source. So most meteor material flying around the sun. Our sun? Yep. And most of that that lands here is actually kind of leftover debris from the birth of our star mm-hmm. still. And most of that dates around that 4.6 mark as well. So awesome. it's just stuff that's been flying around for billions of years and just some of it ends up raining on Earth right. at some point. So those are the kind of the big ones where you, where you get the rocks. And that tells you a lot about how solar systems form as well. You can kind of figure out, oh, we're, you know, it's all, it all formed about the same time, yep. about all about 4.6 billion years ago from all these different lines of material evidence great and so that's that's measuring the age of earth and our solar system yep now we know the universe is much older than that yes so how how do we make that jump because we, we're already in pretty big time yeah we'll call let's call 4.6 billion years pretty big time it's pretty big time but how do we get to legit big time the biggest time currently 14.8 billion is which, you know, like 13.8. 13.8. I'm going to be very technical. Uh, good. Correct me because, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, numbers are in and out, in one ear, out the <laughs> other. Um, but, um, yeah, so we got our 13.8 bill. Yeah. How did um, that happen? How do we know that? So I, well, I know about the phase. Uh, anyway, well, let's not let's go on that. You tell me. <sighs> so I'm not a physicist, <laughs> first of all. 
definitely not an astrophysicist. But basically, the the biggest lines of evidence pointing to it are what falls out of the what's called the cosmic microwave background radiation, mm. which is one of the most impressive findings in all of science. Complete accident that it was. So this is a finding that a couple of people made. I think oh, what were they doing? I think they were trying to trying to they were testing something to do with radio waves, microwaves trying to figure out something around communicating to, with them, trying to get a clean signal is what they were, they were doing in their experiments. So it wasn't just like, how do I make sure my porridge is nice and warm within two minutes flat? No. Okay. No. Um, I had porridge for lunch and it, it was good. <laughs> still using those microwaves. Yeah. Anyway. Still useful today. So this, what was it called again? The background? It's called the CBM, Cosmic Microwave Background Radiation. There you go. Cosmic background microwave is what I'm calling it. Okay, you're just flipping the back two words. <laughs> All right, nice. Yeah. You can write a new paper and no one will notice. Yeah. Like, there was a whole new theory about the cosmic background microwave. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's basically a little signal of microwaves that still exists everywhere all the time, no matter which way you look. So, and it, when you, you know, if you used to turn on your old analog TV, a mm-hmm. little bit of the background static mm-hmm. was that. Was, was the you, age of the old. You tuning into a little bit of the cosmic microwave background radiation. Man. So it was always there. So these guys found it because they're like, why can't we get a clean signal? Like, why is there microwaves hanging around? As in like, so it's like, get out of my TV. Yeah. They, they thought it like, everyone thought it was a, like, something wrong in the equipment, you know, something creating an error, Mm. this little bit of background signal noise. Mm. It's like, you know, like when you go and edit this, there's going to be noise in the background that you wish you got rid of. Yeah. Sorry about that. Last episode, (laughs) there's a little, you know, we'll get there. (laughs) So that's what these guys were doing. And they, they found that there's a, um, yeah, they couldn't get rid of it. They're like, all right. They thought maybe it was birds shitting on the telescope. (laughs) Like, so let's go clean the telescope. They did that and didn't didn't work. Um, and then yeah, it turned out to kind of turn in one of the craziest findings ever. That there's just this constant hum of light, basically, that is the kind of fingerprint of the early universe. The first moment in time when light was able to to become. It really is the the let there be light moment for the universe. Mm. So in in a metaphorical sense, when God said let there be light and there was light, yeah, um, like we we found that moment. That moment's <laughs> being found, but it, yeah, yeah. it's not like, and it's microwaves now. It's not a different kind of light because that you're saying God is the microwave. Well, it, it never <laughs> used to be a microwaves, and one day it'll it'll be almost indetectable mm. because it as the universe expands which is another thing that's going on it's another which is a crazy another thing. whole thing yep um those that that signal from the early universe gets stretched out so it used the waves to be are getting longer and longer yeah so in in the early universe well earlier i forget exactly when it might have been in the first few million years there would have been a 360 degree um, light source 
Hmm. It would have been like the sun was everywhere all the time. Ew. It just like the sky would have been orange with light from hmm. the cosmic microwave back. Well, it wasn't microwave. It would have been the cosmic light background radiation at that point. Hmm. So in the early universe, you would have looked around. There would have been light everywhere. You literally could have seen the moment that light became in the universe. And we're kind of lucky because <laughs> that that's no longer the case. Because, um, yeah, it'd be hard to sleep, I guess. <laughs> um, and, okay, so, so we've got this great example of how scientists are trying to figure out one problem and then, you know, they need to use the reasoning and empiricism is like this whole approach from a philosophical point of view is focused on finding evidence and then trying to make sense of it. Yeah. Um, and then when things aren't working out, you kind of go back to basics and, and test your assumptions. Have assumptions. You try to get rid of so what like you think is an bird, error in your signal. Okay. Bird, yeah. Birds <laughs> yeah. are shooting on, on my telescope. I'm yeah. going to give it a good wash and then yeah. it doesn't work. You're like, oh, okay. Like I'll try something else. So then somehow these guys were like, holy shit, it's actually the universe background people like started well they radio. started to figure it out right they, they started when you to say like, they did they like do was, i think there themselves two, two guys two yeah. two guys who did them like the kind of the pioneers of the work yeah wild i forget their name but um and this can be observed now right like yeah we so we're getting better and better at mapping it so the current maps of it are like absurdly accurate mm. so what, what what do you map what you map is like a total sky feeling sphere of the subtle temperature difference because these because radio radio waves of any kind or electromagnetic waves which microwaves are and so is visible light and so are wi-fi signals it's all the same physical thing or the same physics thing not physical so much um it's not matter but all of this stuff kind of works the same way and you can actually take a temperature of it. So what they found is the signal temperature in every point of the sky where this stuff was coming from was almost the same, but not quite. So what that means is the early universe looked very similar in every direction. It was very homogenous. It wasn't lumpy um, when it expanded. So... Yeah, this, this, it's quite, it can be quite difficult to like put all of these pictures in your head of what, what, like, what the hell does an early universe that's expanding into nothing look like? Mm -hmm. And what does it mean to be sitting inside a sphere and watching that expanding outwards from around you? Mm -hmm. All of this stuff is visually in, in very difficult to like capture in your brain's sense of geometry and space. Mm. But the, the easiest way to think about it is put yourself in the middle of a snow globe. And then the edge of that snow globe is actually that you're seeing from inside the snow globe. That edge of the snow globe, though the snow globe is actually the beginning of the universe that you're seeing. Well, not, not the beginning, but a little bit into the beginning of the universe where the light, edge. the light becomes visible. That's a, a technical detail, but what you're seeing there is bits of the universe that are only just becoming visible to you now. They've been waiting to, to become visible to you until this very moment. 
So we're actually seeing, in some sense, the early birth of the universe constantly as it gets to us from very far away. Yep. Um, so we actually, what, what it kind of means is we're actually still seeing the birth of the universe actively happening as it was 13.7 or 8 billion years ago. Except from our vantage From, from our vantage, and it's very far away, and it isn't happening now, but that radiation is only just getting to us now. Yeah. Yeah, so... Look, it's pretty mind-bending, and so uh, you yeah. can see how people get lost. <laughs> yes. Um, it's tough to keep up with. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, again, if I'm just to, um, you know, give my basic bitch summary. Yeah, please. Um, there's this background radiation that we pick up in all of the signals of the stuff that we use every day, um, and by... Just what we understand of how, you know, physics works and how radiation works and microwaves work. When we use our sweet telescopes and look out into the depths of space, again, we're looking back in time because light takes time to travel. We all know that. Um, and so the further you look, you're actually looking back in time. Yeah. And there's an edge to that. Yeah. And the the edge of time, yep, is as far as we can, as far as we yep. can actually observe, as far, as far as it can be seen, as far in, as in electromagnetic radiation, right, yep. is this um, this this cosmic wall. background, cosmic wall, yeah, this yep. wall. So that's pretty mind blowing. Yeah. Um. So we've got. Now, two pieces of evidence that suggests big time. Don't need to invoke evolution or anything like that here because I know that can also be a pretty sticky topic for, um, you know, people who are biblical literalists. Yeah. Um, but we've got even just here looking at the age of Earth, getting it from the age of the moon and some old rocks here. Um, using yeah. meteors, using um, the radioactive decay yeah. that we used and to... We also kind of know how old the sun is based on a bunch of other things as well. Great. And we've yeah, got the age of the sun. Based on nuclear physics and it's about the same. About the same. And we know also there's about 5 billion years less left of the sun. Yeah, it's halfway sun. through its life. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, put that in perspective as well. Um, <laughs> we're in the middle. We're in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> We're right. in the middle of the, the stellary on of our star. So, okay. So, you know, that's two. Is there another piece of evidence just looking at big time um, yep. that we can point to? Do we have three legs for our stool that we can sit on? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think my, my mind immediately goes to evolution. Well, let's go so, there. I mean that that more fits back into the. I mean, there's so many lines. But now that's the so origin. Subtle lines. So that's of, the origin of life, right? And so yeah. also one of one of your interests has been the emergence of life itself. Like how does how do these compounds these this how does inorganic matter? Yeah. Transform transform to organic. Yeah, and that, then that's 
not an insanely difficult question. Yeah. How does inorganic become organic? That can just happen Mm -hmm. on a rock. The harder question is how does organic matter get together inside a cell and start making more of itself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. That's a, that's, a, that's a tough one. AKA um, life, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's pretty much what we call life and we don't really know the answer to that, to be honest. Cool. So again, we need we, we can split origin, Yeah. the origin of this because with... And I, I should also point out it's a similar kind of issue with the big bang which is kind of what lies behind that wall we were talking about yeah at the edge and we don't really know exactly how that happened either and and yeah, and so lots of um like the origin itself is difficult yeah and some people retain an idea of god is the philosophical term is the prime mover yeah so this idea that oh okay so look i'll accept all that science and then god will be the thing that kicked it all off that yeah. started this big, amazing, rather violent process of <laughs> existence. Um, okay, but let's, yeah, let's not go yeah, down yeah, that yeah. rabbit hole. Let's stick on evolution. So thus far, we've got, again, two pieces of evidence for big time yep. that um, don't, don't doesn't have anything to do with life or evolution. Now we're going to take that head on. Understanding that there's going to be like, this raises a whole bunch of different questions for the um, like biblical, literal Christian worldview. Yeah. And I'm sure other like religions yeah. too. That's just the one we know best. Um, so what's, what's the best evidence for this evolution <laughs> business I've heard so much about? What convinced Ooh. you when you what were... Could, what did convince me? Um, I, I, I don't even know if I remember exactly what convinced me. I think it was kind of figuring out how life works a little bit, I suppose, eventually so learning, convinced me. I mean, like... Learning some biology. Learning some biology. Biology doesn't really work without evolution. You can't, like... It's kind of like looking at a bike and, like, evolution is the wheels. Mm-hmm. Like, that thing ain't moving without it. Yeah. That's that's you the can't ride a bike analogy. with square wheels. Yeah, um, so it's it's really kind of part of the whole process at a very deep level, and it's like it, it doesn't work without it. And to be um, fair as well, like again, taking a big time approach. Yeah, human beings have been around for a long time. Well, you know, like longer than six thousand years. Yeah, um, and even in terms of human culture, evolution is still a pretty new idea. Yep. In the grand scheme of things. It's only 1800s. You know, Darwin in mid eighteen hundreds. Eighteen hundreds, yeah. You know, yeah. having this That was kind of the that was the big era for evolution and geology. Geology started taking off in a big way. Darwin was also a geologist. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realise that. So he was starting to knit together his ideas in a in a integrated way based on what he started to learn about the playground of evolution being earth. Yep. So like these things didn't happen at completely separately. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, that's interesting to, to note. Um, yeah. So what, yeah. what do we got? What evidence do we have for it? 
Oh, so much. <laughs> um, so very much. I mean, it, it's like, I mean, literally yesterday I was playing with it. So it's, I mean, it's, it's very hard. Can you to please define, define it? Because it. Yeah. nobody can see so, your hands and you know, we're all wondering. Like when you, so if you want to look at a gene in someone, right? You look, you, 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 you know, you can sequence someone's gene. Everyone knows like, ah, oh, if I want to spend some cash, I could, if I really wanted to, I could go get my genome sequenced. What the, what the hell does that mean? So you end up with like your genetic sequence, which is essentially like a barcode of sorts. You, ma you you scan that, like you get that, uh, you, you, can't, you figure out what that is using some very fancy technology and we're getting very good at doing that fast and cheap. Um, and then you can line that up next to other people and be like, oh, how, how are we different? Okay, we've got a few different genes here. Most of that difference is really subtle. Very, very subtle differences. We're talking about between individual people? People. Mm -hmm. Yeah, between humans and mass. So the other thing you can do is you start to line that up against other species. And then you can go, okay, so this is where the whole, you know, it's like, oh, we're 90, 90 I don't know, whatever it is, 95% bonobo, you know. Um, or 80% banana. We're 80% the same as banana. Those kinds of things. See, I think, and I, I actually think that sounds so ridiculous to the christian mind or you know again the when i say that i mean like the fundamental christian fundamentalist christian mind yeah that is kind of rejected out of hand but i yeah. suppose reality can be very strange but here's, here's the other down. thing though is like it kind of is ridiculous at the same time because it ignores all the subtle complexities of evolution that matter yeah yeah so the fact that we're 80 percent banana doesn't take into account how important it is how dna is organized hmm how DNA is expressed, how those programs in DNA become active. There's a lot of like subtle complexities and controls that have to evolve as part of the DNA that then controls how the DNA itself works. Again, so this is in, something in the world. Again, so we're thinking we're thinking about something that's self-replicating. Yeah. So it's something that creates more of itself. Yeah. Whether that's but a little bit different every time, but that's a bit the different. Key. There's again, so so really, the key is the variety. Yeah, and so that's the thing with evolution is that there's these small changes over time. Each individual change, not very significant, but over long periods of time, those changes can stack up, and then when we're looking at survival within an environment, and we're all in environments. Um, those changes called adaptations yeah. can favor some species over others, just like it can favor individuals over others, like whether you're stronger, smarter, faster, whatever, right? Um, so these sort of stack up over time. Um, yeah, and this is natural selection. And that's natural selection about. at work. So what, what natural selection is, is kind of the... An inherent property of what DNA brings to the table is that by having a little bit of variety, by evolving, evolution is the thing, it's the label we give to the DNA's capability of creating some variety every time it, you know, every time there's a new offspring, 
there's some little introduction of errors that creates variety. And right? that's like, can we, yeah, let's frame this as variety as opposed to errors as well, because that, I suppose that is based on the assumption that perfect replication is the best or is the goal. Like it's not really a mistake. It's not, so error, errors are built into the system. So evolution, so, so evolution. Hang on, let's just be careful with how we talk. So DNA. Yeah has a inherent very like variability is built into dna and how it replicates. it's built into the machinery that dna makes to replicate itself yeah so this is something you've actually shown me there are little fucking <laughs> little creatures or little bugs right proteins yeah. proteins this, this I, is what proteins are yeah proteins, proteins are like, insane they yeah. look like little, little like nan- i consider them to be nano machines like they're, they're little nanobots like little just doing their thing using chemistry and evolution selects them as well so they they kind of a lot of people only ever when they first encounter evolution and i think this is a really important point in the old days when we encountered evolution we used to really just think about it at that species level so it's like oh you look at a bird and it's got these wings and it's like okay these that beak's better at getting this food in the environment. So the the bird with the better beak won out from this other bird. That bird wins, gets to reproduce, you know, and then it keeps changing a little bit, blah, blah, blah. We, always, we used to always think about it at that species level. People still do that. That's great and all, but really where the game is now is we look at it at this microscopic actually further down the microscopic, nanoscopic level of proteins. So we actually look at what are the little machines that evolution is making that scaled up turns into a bird with a different beak. You know what I mean? Like there's there's so much more going on than just these big expressions in mm. creatures. So, um, so DNA has to have machinery that it makes. To help make more of itself. Those machines that it makes, by definition, as part of the evolutionary process, they get built in with a little bit of error making. They could be perfect, just about. There's no reason. I reckon someone's probably already made one, a version of these. They've probably engineered one that is able to replicate DNA almost perfectly. But no creatures have that because they'd go extinct because they'd mm. never be able to change to adapt to the environment. Mm-hmm. So any creature that had a DNA replication that was perfect would go extinct. And I'm just going to take that insight and bring it up and apply it to our thinking. So again, if we're looking at a fundamentalist way of understanding the world and we all, this isn't just about religion. We can have this fixed, unchanging approach to any aspect of our lives without allowing some room for variation Mm. to change our mind it means we're going to get stuck and it means that we're going to start thinking and behaving in ways that end up not making us fit and, and I use fit in the natural selection sense. It, it means it's going to be harder, yeah, you, for, harder for us are going to, to flourish. Fail at some point, yep. in some way of application. They're not going to make sense, and it's going to make it harder for you to get in a nice flow state, or to, for for you to 
um, fit in with everyone else, yeah. kind of in, in a society. Again, we need, we do need divergent thinking so we have fresh ideas coming in. Yeah. But at that level too, we need to update our own software yeah. and we need to be constantly open, whether you're eight or 80, open to changing your mind, open to folding in that variation. Um, this is a very deep thing in terms of psychological understanding now too. It's a lot of psychological theories look at mental illness now as some kind of rigidity in, in thinking and reacting and adapting to the world as it's changing around you. Wow. So the idea that people who are mentally healthy or are inherently, it's basically synonymous to mentally adaptive. Mm. They're able to react in, in, in flow with their environment. And, and for psychology, that's often like your relational environment mm -hmm. who you're interacting with. So you can, you know, in, you can be adaptive and not rigid in how you respond to someone in a certain situation. So the, the kind of the, the phenomenon itself of having this, like this little, this little way for systems to update, to change is critical mm -hmm. at every scale here. It's critical for, you know, again, if we're looking across different levels here, so, um, you know, this is something like a fundamental truth of life. Yeah. It's, in in the yeah. sense of how far down it goes. Yeah. Um, we can also talk about it in a bodily sense. So, you know, over the past, say, six or so months, like I've been doing Praxis, which is this movement studio stuff. A lot of the idea of it is um, to increase your mobility and strength and flexibility and stuff but it, it, it's actually about trying to put your body in novel systems one of there was a really interesting way of putting it um that the instructor tom said i think or so she, anyway, one of the instructors um which was stop thinking about exercise and health fitness as being calories expended or kilojoules burned or whatever or weights lifted think about it as shapes made. So this idea of moving, flexibility, being supple. There was another statement that anywhere where there's rigidity and firmness or hardness, is weak, there's weakness. Mm. So anywhere where you are inflexible or unable to bend or make shape, that's where you're going to get injured at yeah. some point. Yeah. And so learning to move physically in new ways is also correlated to how we think yeah. as well. There's a very interesting... Um, in terms of our, uh, new, like our mirror neurons. So we like respond to how other people move and yeah. we sort of see that in our minds. But then there's also grid neurons where we position ourselves in space. And anyway, there's, again, that's another area, um, that I am completely not well versed <laughs> in enough to really, um, explore, but, um, yeah, I think we've I think we've we've kind of done this dance. Flexibility is important. That novelty. So rather, because previously, again, this I and and well, in the fundamentalist mindset, it's like mistakes. How could all these mistakes lead to God's perfect creation? Yeah. So there's again, there's this yeah. idea of perfection, which to connect it back to mental health, 
perfection, perfectionism, pursuit of perfection is one of like the 16 traits, psychological traits that result in depression. Yeah. It's, or, it's a form of rigid thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, for you to think that something has, can be perfect is for you to have a rigid idea of what something has to be. Yeah. So it means you can no longer be adaptive in how you think about that thing itself or how you get to that thing. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, yeah. So that, that perfection, process. that perfectionism, it inevitably is something that you've also, you've got to let go of. And in in terms of the whole worldview as well, the idea of God as being yeah. perfect. In again, in in philosophy, if we look in a slightly different lens, we've got Plato's forms. Yep. So Plato had this idea that there's a tree, right? And we see in the physical realm, we see all different kinds of trees. But beyond that, behind that, is a perfect form of a tree. Each of these physical instantiations here on earth are, are attempting to be some expression of this, the perfect tree or treeness, yeah. Yeah. which is, I guess, you know, we've, we've got mental concepts that we overlay to make sense of the world, right? So we've got all these different containers like family or um, human or tree or whatever. We've got these concepts that help us make sense of the crazy amount of things that are going on. Mm. Um, but, you know, that idea of perfection, Jesus is perfect, God is perfect. When all this is done, there's going to be this perfect afterlife, this new heaven and new earth. Yeah. This pursuit of perfection is like baked into the worldview. And I'd never fully like appreciated that, I think, until right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a fairly rigid worldview. And the, the interesting reflex, because I'm just kind of clicking into something here, like the... Um, thoughtful out there are going to be like maybe you've just replaced that perfection seeking with like you've just labeled what we're talking about now as the perfect object yeah this this kind of adaptive thinking is the perfect thing well i mean change isn't always appropriate in all places yeah. right sometimes but it's in terms <laughs> of like we would maybe that just maybe the tag just switched to this you know what i mean this yeah, is this is the sure. new perfect ideal and that's a, like that's a challenge when you're going through this process iteratively is always trying to realize when you're just reapplying those kinds of same patterns of thinking to a new object. Totally. Yeah. And look, again, there's a great saying, it's good to have an open mind, but not so open that your brain falls out. <laughs> so, but you know, also what common sense is has changed radically over the past few hundred years. Yeah. And I assume will continue to change yeah, radically absolutely. as it should. Yeah. Like as we learn, oh man, the germ theory of disease, there's little bugs on everything. Like the, <laughs> like the guy who figured out that doctors should wash their hands before um, doing Open operations babies. or giving birth, yeah. he was put in a mental asylum. Yeah, it's a, it's a wild, right? wild story. Like he had to, he, he lost his life basically. Yeah for say ended up saving millions and millions of people's lives by developing a germ theory of disease. Yeah. And so like, you know, again, humans, we actually don't like change so much because it's scary and we like to feel secure and, and safe. And that's also why a lot of people don't um, deconstruct their own 
worldview, whatever it is. Again, I think this process that we're talking about, in just to step back for a second and talk about what is being called faith deconstruction, whatever. I didn't think of it at that at the time. That terminology wasn't even really around. But the idea is just in you know investigating your beliefs. Yeah. Living an examined life. Um, as best you can. But I like, I do remember feeling so overwhelmed when, when like, when I'd changed my mind. And again, it, it kind of, you're not really in control of whether you find something persuasive or not. Yeah. Or believable. Yeah. Like, for whatever reason. You it's, can't... It's, why, it's why I find it very hard to give people like anything clear when, when you kind of ask, what would you say to someone on, you know, it's like, ah. Oh. It's tough. It's tough well, to it know what's on the person. click. Yeah. And, it's, and like but it's where more... they're at and like what they're experiencing and, and what, what they can and can't even process. And what the belief is doing. So for some people, it actually might be more adaptive for their life on this earth in, from what they've experienced for them to continue believing Yeah, because it actually helps hold their worldview together. And yeah. so that's fine. That yeah. was also one of my big revelations was like, oh, cool. You know, and I think about this particularly in context with, say, mum and dad, is it's like we don't have to try to change each other's minds. Like you're yeah. getting something from this that I'm not getting, that you yeah. need, that I'm I'm finding different things elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. And so that can also change, you know, this is everyone's kind of getting a taste of this at the moment with vaccine mandates and like why don't people get that it's really important and yeah. like it. You know, on the one hand it is, like it is, it is important there's broad social ramifications. There's like public health issues that we need to manage. But again, if we do put it in context, overall, this is getting managed better than at any other time in human history Yeah, that something like this could have happened. Um, and yet we're all still operating with our same brains that we've had from 500 years back when yeah. we didn't know washing hands was the thing that would save heaps of lives. Yeah. So we, if we can just turn, but I think by understanding that, we can turn the temperature down a little bit on all our disagreements yeah, and not expect that everyone's going to get it or think the same way and that's okay. Um, yeah. yeah, you'll never change anyway. someone's reality through attacking them. All you can, yeah, all you can do is try to, try to figure out why someone thinks a thing. Yeah. It's the best, it's the best course of action. Awesome. So, look, I think um, for today, I feel like we've come to a pretty good spot. Sure. We've talked about big time. Had primarily. a go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> had, had an attempt. I don't know if it was convincing for people. Yeah. It's a pretty kind of ad hoc collection of little facts that might spiral together into someone's head and be like, oh, yeah, I can see a pattern. Yeah. There, and we're really just inviting people to come along and... Um, yeah, come along this little journey of discovery because I'm finding it really interesting to explore this in a semi-formal way, you yeah. know, of like yeah. um, bouncing off each other. Um, yeah, so, yeah. We so we we started thinking about the Christian worldview, the like a literal biblical literalist or a fundamentalist Christian worldview, um, and I think maybe what people can appreciate is that when you're Talking about a worldview, as you might have seen as we sort of tracked through the 
age of the earth and then the age of the universe and then evolution, each of these things, like, it's a tapestry. They're woven together into a worldview. So when you're like, well, why can't someone just understand that this is the truth or that is the truth? There's a house of cards sort of thing yeah. here and where if one bit goes, everything collapses and that everything collapses is the loss of internal coherence Yeah. and the loss of, it's actually my whole way of understanding the world and yeah. interpreting my experience is being challenged by this one thing you're saying. Yeah. And for it to go, the whole the whole house has to collapse and a new one would have to be built. Yeah. And that's pretty intense stuff. And that's a huge thing to ask of anyone. Yeah. So Especially someone you're having an argument with on the side of the road or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If someone's trying to give you a card of, you know, why you should go to church next Sunday. Yeah. Or, you know, if, Whatever it is. if it's someone saying why you should have a vaccine or shouldn't yeah. have a vaccine yeah. or why you should vote for this person or shouldn't vote for that person, yeah. right? Like... Um, it applies really broadly. Yep. Anyway, that's our little insight for today. <laughs> um, hope you've enjoyed it. You're here with me, Reverend Bones, and my brother, Science Joe. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Hope that was a fun time. Yeah. Hope you, have time. A, hope you have a great week. And uh, I'm having a blast. So I think we'll keep on doing this. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Rock and roll. See you all. See you, everybody. Mwah.